Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Okay, time for the truth. How many of you have ever bought a product through an infomercial on television? Okay, I see a couple of honest people here. All right, yeah, the hands, some, some hands are going on. I'll tell you what, I did, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one that did that after, uh, you know, after I got out of the Navy and uh, you know, I'm a single guy and I'm going to college and I know that uh, I'm going to have to set up my own household. And, and so uh, I'll tell you what, when, when I saw that commercial for Ginsu Knives, Man, I was on that like a rat on a Cheeto. Uh, and so, and, and you know what? We still have those Ginsu knives to this day. But I, I bought all these products. I bought a set of dishes. I bought flatware. I bought some, uh, some stainless steel mixing bowls. Because I figured, you know, I'm eventually going to set up a household. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to need all these things. And so I did. I, I bought them. I listened. And I go, oh, wow, this is a great thing. I can't live without that. I have to have that. And, and what's more is that I could absolutely buy with confidence because they offered a money-back guarantee. I mean, how can it get any better than that? So, uh, you know, I'm, I was thinking about that. I, just, I was thinking about that as I was thinking about uh, our, our book that we're, that we're going through right now, the book of Hebrews. Uh, because the first uh, few chapters uh, leading up to today, in fact, if you have your Bibles, if you brought them uh, and bring a Bible, don't use the one in the pew. You have to bring your own Bible. Uh, uh, open them up to the uh, fourth chapter uh, of the book of Hebrews. Uh, as, I, as, I was, as I was thinking about the, uh, the passage for this morning, uh, and in, in light of everything that comes uh, before it. And if you, if you, the, the passage for today uh, is uh, verses 14 through 16 in uh, the fourth chapter of Hebrews. And the very first word in, in 14 is therefore. Therefore. And what have I said over these past couple of weeks? Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to ask, that's right. What's it there for? What's it there for? So uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, everything that, that, that leads up to uh, uh, this particular piece of Scripture. And the author is just building, building, building. Wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. And, and I, I absolutely love the first uh, paragraph of the first chapter. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers uh, through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed as heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe... The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven so that he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So we start off with this with this understanding that, uh, that, that Jesus is in fact, and you go back to uh, the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then to hear this, that, that uh, 
uh, that the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So we get that as, a, as, as, as kind of the first salvo, if you will, that this is, this is meat. I want you to hang on to that. And understand, understand that Jesus is superior to the angels. And then we talk about that. And, 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 and after, he, after, he, after, he lays, after the author lays out the case for that, moves on into the second chapter, therefore we need to pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away, so that, so that, that, that we need to recognize uh, uh, who Jesus is and hang on to him. He is, uh, he is our anchor. And we'll talk, a li- we'll talk a lot more about that on Easter. I love how it all works out. Uh, uh, and, and then he goes on to talk about uh, uh, Jesus being the, the author of our salvation. And we talked about that word authorship. And uh, it can also be founder or pioneer. He's the pioneer. He's the captain. You know, some nautical terminology in there. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about, well, wait, there's more. Not, not only does Jesus do this for us, he's bigger than the angels, better than the, than, than, uh, 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 than the prophets of old. He's even greater than Moses. And we know, uh, if you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the fact that within Judaism, within Judaism that, that Moses is considered to be the goat. Right? We know what that stands for, Right? Greatest of all times, that's right, Jesus. But, but the author here says, no, 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 Jesus. Jesus is the greatest of all times. And then, and then last week, I felt like I was dancing up here, uh, uh, talking about the, you know, taking rest from our work. Uh, and, and, the, and the idea, uh, remembering that Hebrews was written to Jewish background believers who uh, understood their relationship with God as one that was based on merit. They were working for their salvation, and that would only come once they became perfect. Of course, you could work every day of your life for the rest of your life and then some and never measure up to that. But in Christ, that work has ceased And we still labor to honor God through our obedience, but we enter into a rest because we no longer have to fear that we're measuring up to God's expectations, that somehow we're going to be able to earn God's favor uh, in, in our lives. And we talked about the importance of the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, that this, an external moral authority, is what keeps us honest. I don't know about you, but I know myself, and I know myself well enough to know that I can justify just about anything that I want to do. And if I don't have something that is outside of myself to say, whoa, whoa, David, take a step back, uh, then I'm going to go off on all kinds of tangents. The Bible is that mirror that, that, that I look at in the morning, you know, to make sure that my tie is straight, you know, to make sure my hair is perfectly coiffed uh, and, and all that fun stuff. Uh, so important for us. And again, the three things that we need to engage in on a daily basis, reading God's word, lifting up our voices in prayer and engaging in the spiritual uh, uh, exercises and disciplines because those are the things that uh, enable us to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Uh, 
So all that, all that is the background coming into these three simple verses, which I think is actually an excellent summary of the entire book of Hebrews. If you want to know what the book of Hebrews is about, you read chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and, and it will give you a, a pretty good synopsis of what the author is trying to communicate. Hear the word of the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, and now we know why it's therefore. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I mean, that's it, folks. That's it in, in, in a nutshell. Now, we'll continue to unpack this. Uh, uh, and in fact, from, from now and, and through almost most of the, the uh, for the next several chapters, we're going to focus on this first part. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the Son of God. Just think about that for a minute. Now, speaking to a... Uh, uh, a Jewish background, believers, a group of believers, they understood the, the whole concept of the high priest. I'm going to tell you what. Uh, uh, back then, uh, in the first century, the, the high priest was the grand poobah. I mean, he, th this, this guy uh, held sway and authority over, over everybody else. Uh, he was the one who represented Israel to God. He was the one who oversaw the, 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 uh, the, the priests who would offer up the sacrifices. And there's an elaborate sacrificial system that's set up for, uh, for the Jews in the, uh, in the book of Leviticus. Uh, I mean, it's just incredibly elaborate. Uh, and, and, of course, we know that in Exodus we get the law. And how many kinds of law are there? How many kinds? Three laws, three, three kinds of law. You have the moral law, you have the uh, civil law, and you have the ceremonial law. And, and it was all meant, uh, the, the moral law was to keep them in a right, right relationship with God. The ceremony or the civil law was to enable them to live together uh, peacefully. And the ceremonial law was to keep them from being assimilated into other cultures when ultimately they would be uh, uh, would be conquered as a people. The Jews have never, to this day, have never been assimilated uh, into, into other cultures. So uh, uh, the high priest uh, uh, oversaw all of, the, all of the priests and the sacrifices. And, you know, when we think about the temple, uh, the temple was a busy place. The temple was a busy place. And, and during the high holy seasons, they called in extra priests. There were three times a year that, the, that all the adult males and their families had to come to Jerusalem uh, and, and offer up sacrifices, but none more important, none more important than Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement that coincided with Passover. Uh, that was the one day where all sin would be atoned for. 
And the only one who could do that was the high priest. And the, uh, the, the high priest decked out in his fine garb uh, with his robes. The, the, they had little bells uh, around the, the base, of the, uh, base of the road so that you could hear him as he moved. Uh, they actually they, they tied a rope around his ankle. Uh, and once a year, once a year. Now, just about 24-7, uh, the temple was a place where sacrifices were being offered. And those were the, 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 the priests that offered up all those sacrifices for the people. And that's how the priests made their living. Uh, uh, the, the people cared for the tribe of Eli, uh, Levi through the, uh, uh, the tithes and the offerings that they brought in and maintained. And the, the, the Levites were the ones that maintained the temple. And the uh, uh, offspring, the lineage of Aaron, those were the priests. And then there was the high priest. And on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter uh, into the Holy of Holies, which was the very center of the temple. And that's where the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant resided. Uh, and that's where the glory of God resided. And, and, and no one could go in there except the high priest, and then only once a year. And the high priest would go in and offer a sacrifice for the... At first off, he would offer a sacrifice for himself because he had to make sure that he was, he was without sin. And, and at, at that point, as soon as he had offered that sacrifice for himself, before he could have another thought or do something uh, that was inappropriate, he would move right into the Holy of Holies and he would offer up that sacrifice for the nation of Israel. All sin was atoned for at that very moment. Five minutes later, you had to wait a whole nother year before all of your sins could be atoned. Now, if you knew you sinned, then you offered up a, sacri a sacrifice. You, you brought in an offering. But what about those sins that you don't know you commit? Some of the, some of the things that you, that you should have done, but you didn't, but you didn't know that you were supposed to do that. I mean, it gets very, very complicated. And so within Judaism, there was this, this uneasy sense that I, I, I don't know if I'm right before God, so I'm going to offer up this sacrifice. I know I did this wrong. I'm going to offer up a sacrifice for that. But once a year, once a year at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, that slate was wiped clean. And they breathed a little easier for about five minutes. The author of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is the great high priest. He is our great high priest. He is the one who entered into the presence of God on our behalf. And I, and I love the language here. Since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. It's like, gone, gone through the heavens? Uh, he punched, I like this idea, he punched his way through. What are the heavens but that which separate us from God? The heavens separate us from God. Jesus has gone through the heavens. He has punched through. Going back to what we read in chapter, in chapter 2, that Jesus is our pioneer. He's that trailblazer. He has punched through to God. And then through the resurrection, he came back and says, there's a way. It's clear now. And when Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. And we read that in the first chapter of Hebrews after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. 
So Jesus, our high priest, and when he died on the cross and when he said it is finished, a phenomenal thing happened. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Because now access to God is available to everyone. Jesus is the ultimate, greatest of all time. He punched through the heavens as our high priest. He offers himself. And remember when he first came on the scene and John the baptizer was with his disciples and he sees Jesus and he says to his followers, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. A phenomenal statement to make at the beginning of, of Jesus' earthly ministry. And of course it's played out in the Passover where Jesus allows himself to be sacrificed, to pay for our sin once and for all. It is finished. He punched through the heavens, making a way for us now to have access to God, not through a priest and not just once a year. But we now, we now are a body of priests, the priesthood of all believers. So we have the opportunity to represent the rest of the world, to, to the, the, the pre-believers, if you will, uh, uh, into the presence of God. Jesus is our high priest. Hang on to that. That is so foundational uh, in our faith. Therefore, since we have this great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. It is our faith that will keep us from drifting. It is our faith that allows us to stand firm amidst the storms of life. It is our faith that prevents us from drifting along with the currents of modern culture. It is our faith that sustains us in the middle of our trials and our tribulations. And what is our faith? Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God, becomes flesh, dwells among us, shows us the face of God, teaches us how to live with one another within God's moral framework, punctuated with grace. When we fall, when we, fall, when we fail, we pick ourselves up and we receive grace and mercy from God so that we can get back within that framework. He teaches us how to, how to live with one another with grace and mercy and justice uh, uh, and, and compassion and grace, all of those things that make life work. Jesus taught us that. And then through the ultimate sacrifice, he does go to the cross willingly on our behalf. And there's a mystery there that I think we will not fully fathom and comprehend this side of eternity. But when he, when he dies to all that is separate, from the love and the will of God. He takes upon himself the penalty for our sin. But it doesn't stop there. Three days later, he, raises from the, he rises from the dead. And in the same power that brings Jesus back to life, that's the Holy Spirit that is at work within us, transforming us into the image of Christ. And then he ascended up into the heavens. 
where he holds all things together by the power of his word. And the day will come, and now we shift from our faith to our hope. The day will come when, when Jesus shall return in the fullness of time to firmly and forever establish his kingdom, right every wrong, straighten every crooked. That is our hope. But let us hold firmly, the author of Hebrews says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Just think about that for a minute. Tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Now, some people would say, that might have been true in the first century, but that can't be true today. I mean, there, there, are, there are things that, uh, uh, that, that people do today that are just atrocious, that would have been unthinkable back in the first century. Oh, yeah, maybe in degree. But really, I think uh, if, we, if we break it all down, we can probably uh, catalog... Uh, the temptations into five categories. Hate. Murder. Greed. Dishonesty. And lust. Hate. Murder. Greed. Dishonesty and lust. Now, there are varying degrees of each one of those. And yeah, some of the things that we may face, Jesus wouldn't have faced, but I think we could, we could probably parse it out into one of those five categories. Jesus knew all those things. He was fully human, just as he was fully God. He faced all the same temptations that we did at their base level, and yet without sin. I remember uh, a theology class I took where uh, the uh, professor said, well, you know, Jesus uh, being uh, fully God and fully human, uh, there's no way that he could have sinned. God can't sin. You know, that was the, 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 the Sunday school lesson or the, the, the children's sermon where the, where the pastor was telling the kids, you know, all things are possible with God. With God, nothing is impossible. You can't think of one thing that God can't do. And a little girl raises her hand, and, and she says, I can think of something God can't do. The pastor's kind of shaken. He says, well, well, what is that? God can't sin. Point well taken. Point well taken. So if, if God can't sin, and I don't believe that God can sin, it's not in his nature, and Jesus being fully God, uh, even though he was fully man, Jesus couldn't have sinned either. And I went round and round with the professor and said, I don't buy it. If, the, if, the, if a legitimate temptation to sin was not present with Jesus, then he can't really identify with me. Now, the one thing that Jesus doesn't do that we do is succumb, to succumb to the temptation. And when your life is on the line, that's the time when most people abandon their faith. 
the, the, the people that do abandon their faith. They abandon their faith in, 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 a, in, a, in a moment where their life is on the line. And we have seen that throughout history where, 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 where people have been uh, at the point of a sword or, a, or, or uh, any other implement of destruction who have been told, you need to uh, renounce your faith or we're going to take your life. And we have great examples, amazing examples of people who did not succumb to that. And the reality is they did not come to that because they no longer had a fear of death. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, that, uh, uh, that, that Jesus freed all those uh, who were held slavery by their fear of death. We no longer fear death because death is not a destination, it's a doorway. But over and over again, that, that's the breaking point for people. And certainly Jesus had, he had the power, he had the authority to, to save himself from going to the cross. When he was in the garden, sweating blood, he says, he says Father, if there's any other way, and, and as long as I live, I will believe in my heart that Jesus was thinking that moment of Abraham and Isaac and how as the father is ready to sacrifice the son, God provided a substitute. And Jesus on his knees praying, Lord, Father, this is your son about to be sacrificed. Is there no substitute for me? And I can just hear the father whisper into his ears, my son, you are the substitute. You are the substitute. Jesus became like us to identify with us that he might legitimately help us. We have a great high priest. We have a faith that we profess because our high priest is able to sympathize with our weaknesses in every way, yet without sin. And, 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 but wait, there's more. Verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may, may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is available to all who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Again, remember that curtain was torn. He now has, he's punched through the heavens. He has made a way for us to go into the very presence of God, the throne of grace. And other places in Scripture, it says that we go without spot or blemish. We go wrapped in a righteousness, not our own. And that's a forensic declaration. Remember, that's a, that's a, that's a legal term. That in the divine court, God has declared us to be righteous, wrapped in the, in the uh, righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that enables us to boldly approach the throne of grace 
that we might receive mercy and also find the grace that we need to sustain us. Mercy and grace have often been seen as two sides to the same coin. Mercy is not not getting what you deserve. You get pulled over by a police officer because you're speeding. I know none of that would never happen to any of you. You get pulled over for a speeding ticket, and the officer says, going a little fast, and you spin your little tail of woe or whatever it is, and every now and then, the officer says, I'm going to give you just a warning this time. Never happened. It it happened to me once. I was 16 years old. I was driving home. I wasn't speeding. I was driving home from work. Uh, It was about 1 o'clock in the morning, and I I swerved over the line. What I was doing was was reaching under my... I had a... this, I had an eight-track tape deck underneath my seat uh, in my little Volkswagen, and I was reaching to find a cartridge so that I could slip it in to listen to some music. And 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 I looked up and I, you know, pulled over, uh, and the cop pulled me over because I'm weaving. He thought I was had been drinking. Of course, I worked at McDonald's. As soon as the window uh, was rolled down, uh, I, you could smell the the grease and whatnot. He knew, <laughs> so he says, "I'm going to give you a warning this time." Keep your eyes on the road. I received mercy at that point. I did not get, because I was, I was driving dangerously. I received mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. And grace has been described as God's riches at Christ's expense. And we have been given an ocean of grace. And I love the statement from Dallas Willard that Christians ought to burn through grace like a jet burns through fuel. And you know, we're really great at giving grace to ourselves. We're a little hard-nosed when it comes to other people. And I think that is a total misreading of Micah 6.8 because we are to be just people who love mercy, who love mercy. And so the challenge for us is to reach back in that ocean of grace to pull out a cup of grace to offer those who may have wronged us in some way. Or to find that grace, even even in the face of, of, of temptation or trials. And again, I'm struck by the words of Jesus on the cross. Father, you forgive them, for they know not what they do. He reached for a cup of grace to give those who were putting him to death. And the people who first heard this letter were facing pretty serious persecution. Now, there's been all kinds of stuff going on in the United States and saying that we're moving toward a time of greater persecution. And maybe, certainly Christianity has fallen out of favor with our culture today. All the more reason, all the more reason for us to focus on this passage because we have a high priest who has punched through the heavens And we need to hold firmly to that faith so that we do not drift. Jesus can understand and identify with us in every way, shape, or form. There's not one thing that we have done or experienced where we cannot bring it uh, before Christ. And we can never say to him, but Lord, you don't understand. He says, oh yes, I understand far more than you will ever uh, believe on the side of creation. 
So to hold firmly to our faith and approach that throne of grace with confidence. Reading God's word, praying, and, and engaging in those exercises. Those are the things that are going to keep us strong. Those are the things that are going to help us fix our, our thoughts on Jesus. Those are the things that are going to sustain us as we go through any trial or tribulation. We need to be light in this world. And that light needs to come from people who are just, who absolutely love mercy. And historically, you know what? The church has not done a good job. We have not done a good job. We need to do a better job. And that's our challenge today. What a great book to go through during these days because God is faithful. We have a high priest. Hold on to your profession of faith and take advantage and access that throne of grace because there you will find mercy and grace to deal with whatever challenge or tribulation that you may encounter. Again, I, I close by quoting G.K. Chesterton, who said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found lacking. It has been found difficult and left untried. In these days, we need to band together encourage one another, pray for one another while it is today so that we can faithfully live into God's kingdom and become dispensers of grace as we seek to be people of justice. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. It's not by pointing out the failures of others. It's by identifying the failures in our own lives and allowing God to do a work of transformation and accepting people wherever we find them because that's where God met us. An invitation to join the journey that has more than a money-back guarantee. It's a promise of life and that in abundance. Let us reach for that each and every day. Today, today is what matters because today is the intersection of our faith and our hope and we live it out in love.